Hey, it's Heidi. Welcome home. I'm so glad that you're here today because I think we're going to talk about probably one of the most important questions that are that is left unanswered for people who love addicts and alcoholics. Maybe you've been wondering it yourself, or maybe your children have been wondering it. By the way, I know children wonder it because I wondered it myself when I was a little girl, a lot. And that question is, is alcohol more important than me? If they loved me enough, wouldn't they just quit? It's that feeling that we have as a loved one that says, what's wrong with me that I'm not enough that you would choose me instead of alcohol or drugs? And now I can't think of a more important question for us to answer because that question is the one that leaves you feeling completely devastated at the end of the day. Certainly full of anxiety, perplexed, confused, what the hell is going on here? How could this person seemingly have everything? A good family, a wonderful caring spouse that loves them. Maybe there's are, there are finances, there are resources, and you think you have everything. Why are you choosing this? Why can't you just love me enough to choose me over that? That's the question that we're going to talk about today. I'm going to riff on this with you, and I'm going to give you um, some perspective, and hopefully... Hopefully my wish is that perspective will give you a shift in your thinking so that you can come to the understanding that love ain't got nothing to do with addiction. If it did, your love would have been enough already to help that person stay sober. If your love isn't enough to help somebody get well, their love isn't enough to help them quit. What we're really asking an addict or an alcoholic when we say things like, if you love me enough, you just stop, or aren't I enough, or why are you choosing alcohol over me? You're assuming a couple of things. You're assuming, number one, that they have access to the ability to make good decisions. You're also assuming that they actually have some element of control. It's a choice. And addiction isn't about choosing. Now, I know before we get pissed off, that there are a lot of different ideas about what addiction is and what it isn't and are they choosing this and is this a disease and what is it and do they have control over it or not. The truth is, is that addiction isn't a disease like cancer, right, where you could just get it out of the blue. Addiction is something we create. We bring it on ourselves through habitual use and patterning, but eventually after use and use and use, the brain breaks. And I'm going to talk to you about that. And that's where we lose our ever-loving mind, our common sense, and our ability to choose. That's what makes addiction addiction. So let's dive into that, okay? Now, I got this little example from one of the most brilliant teachers I've, I've seen in the field of interpersonal neurobiology, and that is Dr. Dan Siegel. And he's an expert on that. And he did this, he explains things in such a simple way, takes very complex ideas and dumbs them down so that everybody can understand. And I like things very simple. My mentor and teacher, John Maxwell, um, who taught me about teaching and speaking and leading, uh, would say all the time, you know, he likes to put the cookies on the low shelf so everybody can get some. And that's the goal with taking this complex notion of addiction and codependency and family dynamics and really making it super simple so we can really see what's going on. And that's my intent here. If you're new here, I just want to say welcome home to you as well. I'm Heidi. And our goal here is to help explain codependency, toxic dysfunctional behavior patterns so that really my ultimate goal is to end these dysfunctional cycles for good so that our children are not repeating the patterns that we are enacting right now. 
right? Generations and generations of addiction and dysfunction. It's time for us to be the cycle breakers. Amen. And that's why we're here today. So again, I remember as a little girl asking this question all the time thinking, well, if my dad just loved me enough, you know, why aren't we enough? He looked like he was a functioning alcoholic. And from the outside looking in, it looked like he had everything. He had a great job. He was able to provide for the family. He had a loving wife. Um, by all accounts and purposes, everything looked really good. So I was confused a lot as a kid thinking, why does he pick this? What is happening here? So I'm going to explain what Dr. Dan Siegel showed me in one of his trainings many, many years ago and how I adapted it to explain this part of addiction. It's a hybrid between Dr. Dan Siegel's brain model, which is this, and my mentor, which is Dr. Tom Bealey, who I worked underneath um, at, a, at one of the world's leading drug and alcohol treatment centers for almost a decade, where I um, created and facilitated the family program and the codependency programming. And he taught me a lot there as well. So I'm going to um, teach a hybrid, a mix of all that and give it to you. So are you ready? Here we go. Okay. This is your brain. So I want you to take your little thumb, tuck it into your um, hand and go like this. Okay. This is a person's brain up here. This is Dr. Dan Siegel's work, right? We have the thinking part of the brain and this is the neocortex. And in here we have the limbic system and this is the feeling part of the brain. And back here we have the reptilian part of the brain, which is the instinct that fight, flight, freeze, faint, fawn, you know, all those things. In a normal functioning brain, all day long, we think a lot of weird things, right? I'm going to make a bad decision. Um, boy, I'd like to rear end that car in front of me that's going too slow. Um, I'd like to sleep and lay in bed all day. Uh, anything that doesn't sound like a good idea, I'd like to take a bunch of pills and get drunk. I'd like to day drink, you know, all the things that are not good decisions. And in a normal functioning brain, the neocortex has the ability to come over top of that feeling and instinctual part of the brain that likes to do things that aren't always the best ideas and say, shh, 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 that's not a good idea. The neocortex's job is like the guard. It goes, no, honey, that's not a good idea. No, sweetie, we don't day drink. We've got work to do. No, we're not going to take drugs because we don't like to feel that way. No, we're not going to punch that random in the kidney because we don't hit strangers. You know, all the bad decisions get squashed. So everybody's brain kind of starts out the same, right? What, well, that's debatable too, but we all have these parts to our brains. Let's just go there. So in a normal functioning brain, this is how this works. Now, addiction isn't something that people are born addicted. A lot of people think that people just wake up and they're just, you know, I have an addicted personality, but there's a great book called The Addicted Personality, which clearly explains the addicted personality isn't something we're born with. It's the it's the adapt adaptive personality that the addiction creates called the addictive personality. And I'm gonna explain that here. And this is why we can answer questions like, how can they be so self-absorbed? How do they, how are they mean? How are they choosing alcohol over me? Why isn't love enough? How are they forgetting their family and their morals and their values. And I'm going to explain that. This is why love is not enough in addiction. What happens is this person says, people drink and use drugs because they're medicating something, right? Usually drugs and alcohol don't start out as a problem for most people. They start out as the solution for most people. So let's say, let's just use a regular everyday run of the mill person. And we'll say, you know, this is Joe and, and Joe has a little bit of a problem because he feels a little bit unfulfilled in his life. Um, he's not really living his purpose. He's kind of in like middle management and he's not, you know, he's overwhelmed and he's stressed out. And, um, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable 
uncomfortable in his own skin. He's got trust issues or whatever his relationship stuff is. But when he drinks alcohol, it helps him kind of anesthetize that he's not so content at his work. It helps him kind of forget those things. And so he has a drink and the brain goes, hey, you're not happy. The reptilian part, the feeling part goes, you're not happy. You know what? You're not really fulfilled. You're not living your dream. The thinking part of the brain goes, well, why don't you have a drink? That'll relax you, okay. And it thinks it through and it says, yeah, I'll have a drink, it's not a bad idea. Another person, Sally, she's a mom, she's with her kids all day long, she's overwhelmed, she's exhausted, she's also working, she's doing whatever. And she feels completely overwhelmed, doesn't know how to ask for help, has like underlining issues of codependency. Her brain says, why don't you just take a little bit of, you know, Ativan or something like that and, and relax and take one of your medications. Okay, maybe take two. Okay, and has it. Now, eventually, what makes a normie separate from an addict is that eventually, like Jim over here who wants a drink after work, eventually say, you know what, you've had, why don't you have another drink after he's had two or three? And a normal functioning brain, as is how everybody starts off, will go, Jim, come on, buddy, you've had too many, you've got to work in the morning, you do have responsibilities, and it'll go, that's not a good idea, and it'll override that thinking part of the brain, and he'll stop drinking for the night. Josie or Samantha, whoever is having her Ativan or her wine, you know, after a little while of having a couple drinks of she's under the influence and she's like, well, maybe I'll just stay in bed all day and have more. And now if she's not too like checked out of her mind. She'll be able to say, okay, yeah, no, that's a bad idea. I've got to, I've got to get up and for school or whatever with the kids. And so she overrides that part of the brain that says, have more, have more. Now here's what addiction happens. Eventually, these both of these people, either male or female, it doesn't matter, whatever, continue to say, yeah, but you know what? Um, the brain goes, that's not a good idea. And they go, yeah, well, you don't always know best and nobody really cares anyway and nobody's going to notice. So I'll just drink a little bit more. Fuck off. And keep telling the brain to like shut up, right? Overriding the brain, overriding the neocortex, overriding the common sense and choosing the habitual use. This is where the choice comes in at first. Choosing that at first. Well, I'm just going to keep drinking. Now, eventually, they still think they're choosing, right? They're telling the brain to shut up this neocortex. Don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Eventually, after you shut that down so many times and let the toddler part of the brain, which is what this is, this is the adult and this is the toddler, you let the toddler call the shots for so long, the toddler part of the brain becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And eventually, we break a part of the brain in addiction. And that part is called the nucleus accumbens or the reward pathway that links up control and consequence. And eventually that brain stops working. So this part totally shuts out. Nobody's home. The neocortex goes to sleep. And the, this underbelly part of the brain, the reptilian, the instinct, the limbic, that's all running the show. So when you say to somebody, why, why are you choosing this over me? At certain point, there is no option because nobody's home. Now I can hear you right now. Heidi, that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm, they're thinking, they're going to work all day, they're functioning, they're able to do their, that thing. Again, the thinking part of the brain is the ability, sorry about the dog barking, is the ability to rationalize, to, to, to make good choices and decisions. And what happens when you're using drugs and alcohol for a long period of time is dopamine is produced or neurotransmitters well-being are produced in everyday life, right? 
They're produced in your family. They're producing the joyful things that light us up. But when you're using substances on a regular basis, that brain stops producing those chemicals on their own and starts relying on the substance to give them those feelings of well-being. So slowly, the addictive personality starts to creep into their brain. Shh, the dog starts to creep into their brain and say things like, your family doesn't really get, it's like an abusive relationship. It hijacks the, the user and says, well, you're not getting that much joy out of family. This is where your joy is coming from. And slowly but surely that addictive personality whispers in that ear and hold, starts to hold it hostage and makes it a slave to a new master. And so that's how that addictive personality takes over. It looks a lot like narcissism, right? Where they start to care less and less about the consequences. They don't have empathy for their family because again, the brain stops producing those neurotransmitters of well-being and gets it all from the chemical or substance. And so that person starts to rely and the brain goes, well, we don't need the family. Just give me a drink. Just give me that pill. That's where all my happiness is coming from. And they literally start to believe it. They are absolutely convinced that that is where they're getting all their happiness from. In fact, when you take away the substance, it can take up to a full year for that brain to start produce those chemicals normally. So a lot of people get more depressed. A lot of people have more anxiety because they were medicating all that stuff underneath to begin with. Okay. So when you ask somebody, can't you see what you're doing? You lecture them. You want to sit them down and talk about the choices they're making. At some point, the choice is off the table and they need to go to treatment long enough for that addicted brain to shut the hell up and take a back seat for the hijack situation to release the hostage which is the addictive personality has your loved one hostage here, okay? To release the hostage so they can see clearly what it is they do have in their family and the things they need to fix that they were medicating in the first place. Because even though you can look around as a family member and say they have everything, they have me, I'm so great, you know, and you are great. However, there I guarantee there are parts of their lives that are not working long before drugs and alcohol became the solution to it. So when they get sober, they can start to see some of those things. So love has nothing to do with it. Love has absolutely nothing to do with it. That's like telling a narcissist, if you love me, you'd be nice. It's absolutely nonsensical. Addiction doesn't care about anything. It has absolutely no empathy for anything at all. The addiction, the addictive personality all only cares about continuing to use, justifying, manipulating, hide, hiding, sneaking, cheating, lying in order to have that substance and they don't go to any lengths to do it. Even if they are simply a functioning or binge drinker, it's all the same, okay? I know you're gonna have lots of questions about this. I know you're gonna have lots of comments. Go ahead and leave them below for me so we can continue this conversation. What other questions do you have? The important thing that I want you to know is that when you're thinking things like my love will fix this or their love for me will pull them out, I always wanna remind you, if your love isn't enough to fix this, then their love for you isn't enough to pull them out of it either. You're asking an addict or an alcoholic to love you enough to quit when they don't even love themselves enough to recognize what the fuck is going on, okay? Love you more, they need to love themselves more and stop hurting themselves before they decide to stop hurting you. They have to come first. They have to dedicate and say, okay, you know, all right, I got to stop. I got to be willing to love myself and stop treating myself this way and hurting myself before I can commit to stop hurting you and love you the way you deserve to be loved. They need to figure out how to love themselves before they can figure out how to love you. All right. 
Ooh, that was a mouthful. I love you. Again, let's continue on this conversation. Leave your comments below. They do help this video get seen by more people and help us. And there are lots of perspectives on addiction. I want you to know I am one perspective. Okay. I don't have the lock on things, but I do know that all the decades worth of experience that I've been doing this and the world-class education that I've received under the mentorship of some of the most amazing minds in the world of psychology, that I feel pretty confident sharing with you the wisdom that I'm sharing with you. I also want to tell you that every time that you prolong somebody's treatment by thinking it's a choice and a decision, we're, we're helping them continue on in their addiction versus really getting them the support they need to be well. Because again, love has nothing to do with it. All right. Leave a comment. I look forward to seeing you soon and take excellent care. And by the way, if you want help, with untethering from this addiction or learning how to love yourself first, which is really what we need to do as codependents who are in relationships with addicts or alcoholics, then go over to lovecoachheidi.com and check, check around over there at the program that we have that's specifically designed for you, the family member who often gets forgotten in this, where there's help every, every second mile, there's help for addicts or alcoholics, but where's the help for you? And not just Al-Anon, which is a really good place for you to go, but strategic help, strategic advice, step-by-step step, guiding you, being your psychological, mental, and emotional Sherpa over this mountain of addiction that you're trying to climb. Okay. I love you so much. Take excellent care. I'll see you really soon. Bye-bye.